So we're going to be reading from Isaiah 61 initially and verse 8. We as a church are going through Isaiah chapter 61 in a series we've called Anointed. And uh, this is a thematic series where we are taking some of the major themes in this chapter and then thinking about them. Uh, Today we are thinking about God's justice. We're going to be thinking about God's justice. And I want to invite you this morning, would you be willing to do some work with me? We're going to be doing what uh, theologians call a biblical theology. A biblical theology takes a theme, the justice of God, and then we trace it through the Bible. So today, whereas perhaps normally we would just spend time focusing on one passage of Scripture, today we're going to be going through a number as we trace this theme and aspects around this theme through the Scriptures and seeing how in the person and work of Jesus Christ we find a, a kind of culmination and celebration moment that takes place in the ministry and the work of Jesus. So that's where we're going. But I am asking you, This isn't a spoon-feeding sermon. This is a, can you work with me as we go through these texts? Because there's a reward if you do. I believe there's a great reward for us today as we journey through these passages of Scripture together. The Lord loves justice. The Lord loves justice. Let's read Isaiah 61, verse 8 together. For I, the Lord, love justice. Justice. I hate robbery and injustice. I will faithfully reward my people and make a permanent covenant with them. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the truth of this scripture that you, O oh God, love justice that your eye is over your creation and you miss nothing. You see everything. And there's going to be a great day when we will see the full justice of God before our very eyes. And I thank you that the invitation continues to go out from heaven, which is an invitation to receive your mercy. And oh Lord, we ask, would we be a people who boast in the riches of God's mercy, who fall before the throne of grace, knowing it's only there that we find our help in times of need. And we are needy for your grace. How we need your grace and how abundant it is. There is no lack There is no stinginess in God, only abundance. So Lord, let us delight ourselves in your grace and your mercy. We thank you. You're a God who loves justice. Amen. I suppose a good question to ask often is, where is justice? Where is justice? How many times... Do you think that question has been asked by men and women over the ages? Where is justice? When we see so many things which seem unjust and we see great atrocities and great acts of evil and wickedness, 
it can be fair to ask that question, where is justice? This verse that I read to you began with a conjunction, for. For, I, the Lord, love justice. When we see a conjunction like that, whether it's the word for or the word therefore, we always have to ask the question with that word, what is it therefore? Which means we just cast our eyes back. We have to just cast our eyes back over what's been previously said. So the Lord loves justice, and because the Lord loves justice, everything else that we've just read in Isaiah 61, we're able to believe. So let's just quickly bring out some of them. He brings good news to the poor because he loves justice. He sets captives free because he loves justice. He heals the brokenhearted because he loves justice. He proclaims the the year of his favor, the year of his salvation, because he loves justice. He proclaims the day of his vengeance, because he loves justice. He provides for those who mourn in Zion, because he loves justice. And so on, and so forth. And so here's what this means. This means that God's salvation and God's vengeance are both God's justice. Now that's an incredible idea. It's a huge idea and truth. That God is just as right and just in his salvation and in his mercy as he is in his vengeance and his condemnation and his bringing justice and judgment. He's just as just and it's just as right. And we're going to see why that is at the end of the sermon as we spend time thinking about what we've just been celebrating, which is the death of Jesus Christ and how in Christ we find mercy comes to us, but justice is also served in the process. Hallelujah. I, a couple of weeks ago, had the privilege of leading a Bible study for what is, I think, termed the little Bible study group here. There we go, there's a big shout out from one or two members. (laughs) A little Bible study group, big voice. Amen. And actually it's not very little, it's about 25 or so. We gathered here and I was asked to do a Bible study on King Saul. And I began, began the study by asking them this question. I said to the guys, what do you think the perfect leader looks like? What does the perfect leader look like? Think about maybe politicians. Think about leaders in our society. What does the perfect leader look like? And then I said, is the perfect leader someone who's strong and powerful, has great authority and great wealth? And the reaction in the room was, oh, no, I don't think so. And then I said, well, what if the great leader was someone who was kind and compassionate and generous, and somebody who cared about the disadvantaged and and made it their ambition to serve the needy and the vulnerable and the poor, would you want that person to have all power and all authority and to be rich and to be wealthy? And the answer, of course, is yes. The issue is not actually with power and with authority when we think about what a great leader looks like. The real issue at stake is character. 
Is this someone who's trustworthy? Is this someone with integrity? Is this somebody who uses their power and their might and their authority for the for the sake of the disadvantaged and the needy and the vulnerable and the poor and the downcast. And the reason why the instinctive reaction was, oh, no, no, we don't want someone who's all powerful, is because so often we're familiar with power corrupting and we're familiar with bad leadership of broken, immoral people. And this is why we love Jesus, because Jesus is rich, powerful, has great authority and is kind and gentle and cares for the lowly and the downtrodden. And Jesus is like that because that's what God is like. And this is what God cares for. And so as we consider the justice of God, we have in mind the perfect leader, the one that we seek to imitate and seek to to be like. Let's read Psalm 146 as we begin to, to, to listen to what the scriptures have to say to us about the justice of God and the things that God really cares about, the things that are a priority for the Lord God. Psalm 146. Hallelujah. My soul, praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing to my God as long as I live. Do not trust in nobles, in a son of man who cannot save. When his breath leaves him, he returns to the ground. On that day, his plans die. Happy is the one whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. And look at the groups that are highlighted here. Executing justice for the exploited and giving food to the hungry. The Lord frees prisoners. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises up those who are oppressed. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord protects resident aliens and helps the fatherless and the widow. And he frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Zion, your God, Forever Zion, your God reigns for all generations. Hallelujah. Wonderful scripture. And over and over again through the scriptures, we see these same groups are, it would seem to be the priority of the efforts and actions of God to to alleviate injustices because so often these are the categories that are most oppressed, that are most disadvantaged, that find themselves in abject poverty and so often in our world those who have the greatest power and those who have the most wealth hoard it and don't realize that that wealth has come to them that they might be agents of change for those who don't have wealth because that's how God has acted in this world. And Jesus has come, and Jesus came in such a way. He set aside, you know, he didn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. He came from heaven to earth in order to reach out and find those who are poor, downtrodden, oppressed, struggling, and to use his power to raise them up. Though he was rich, For your sake he became poor, so that you, though you are poor, might become rich. What a wonderful gospel we we have. 
So the first thing I want to speak into is this. The Lord hears the cries of the oppressed. The Lord hears the cries of the oppressed. He is the defender of the weak. He is the defender of the weak. And we see God's justice being acted out right at the very beginning of the Bible. We see that this matters to God. That no one is able to escape his justice right at the very beginning in chapter 4 of Genesis. We read about Cain and Abel. Verse 8 of chapter 4 of Genesis. Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out into the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's guardian? Then he said, listen to this. What have you done? Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Your brother's blood cries out to me. Now, we're going to see this phrase repeated over and over and over. And the more I was studying this, the more I marveled at how replete the scriptures are with this phrase, the cries, crying out, crying out to the Lord. When there is injustice, we hear a voice crying out. And we hear, and we see a God who hears those cries. He hears the cries of the oppressed. Cain murders Abel in a field. Evidently no one around to see this transgression take place. Seemingly in a hidden crime. The ESV puts it like this. The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. It's an incredible thought. What's it crying out for? Crying out for justice. I'm hearing a cry for justice coming from the ground, Cain. I hear it. What have you done? I'm hearing the blood of your brother, The Lord hears the voices which seem to have been muted by unjust death. He hears those voices. He hears the voices that appear to have been silenced by an unjust death. Whether that be the voice of Abel in a field or the voices of those who perished in 2021 in the womb, 214,869 voices. In 2021 alone, he hears the cries of unjust deaths. He hears those cries. Now, I recognize that issue is huge in our society today. And I know that in this room, statistically, there will be many who have gone through the the pain and the agony of that. And we want to help, and we're not here to condemn anyone. God's word comes to build you up, to bring forgiveness, to bring hope, to bring healing. But what we aren't able to do is, is, is ignore those events that the Lord God 
so cares about. He cares about unjust deaths. So 214,869 in this country alone, does that not grieve the Lord God? He hates injustice. Death, where does death come from? Satan. He is the Lord of life. He hears the cries of those who die an unjust death. This is right at the very beginning of the Bible. The Lord hears the cries of oppressed nations. He hears the cries of oppressed nations. I want to read from Genesis. Again, this is chapter 18. And this is not a nation, this is a city. This is Sodom and Gomorrah. This is a city of great evil and of great darkness. I mean, this is a city, you think of all the evil cities that have ever existed. Of this place, the scriptures specifically say, great wickedness took place in this city. Great wickedness. And in chapter 18, verse 20 of Genesis, then the Lord said, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is immense, and their sin is extremely serious. I will go down to see if what they have done justifies the cry that has come up to me. If not, I will find out. This is interesting, isn't it? There's a cry that the Lord has heard from Sodom and Gomorrah. So the implication is that there are, and we know there's a little family of righteous people who are trusting in God, who are seeing great wickedness, great evil, and great darkness, and they're crying out, Lord, these things are happening all around us. We're, we're terrified. We're afraid. Please come and bring judgment. Please come and bring justice. And the Lord's response is, I'm going to go and see. Now, it's an interesting turn of phrase because, of course, God sees everything all of the time. That phrase is for our benefit that we would know that God's justice isn't just casual. It's not just flippant. It's very careful and considered. I'm going to go and see what has happened. So even the vilest, most horrific crimes and sins and acts of evil, God sees them. God sees them. And God hears the cries that go up to him. He hears the cries of an evil city coming from within an evil city. And what does God go on to do? He brings destruction. Because he loves justice and he hates injustice. He loves justice. So he comes and like that, devastation takes place. Sodom and Gomorrah. We think of the cries that went out from the Israelites in Exodus chapter 3. I apologize that these texts are not available for you to read on the screen. If you do, I hope you heard me the other week when I said, bring your Bibles <laughs> for moments like these. Bring your Bibles, turn to, chapter, turn to Exodus chapter 3. This is a very significant moment in the Bible as God speaks to Moses. 
initially from chapter 2 and verse 23 I'm going to read. After a long time the king of Egypt died, the Israelites groaned because of their difficult labor and they cried out. And their cry for help because of the difficult labor ascended to God. The cry for help ascended to God and God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God saw the Israelites, and God knew. Verse 7 of chapter 3. Then the Lord said, this is to Moses, I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt. And listen, I have heard them crying out because of their oppressors. I know about their sufferings, and I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them from that land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. God hates the injustice of forced labor and slavery. So the Israelites are suffering from forced labor and slavery. They are treated brutally, harshly in Egypt. I'm sure many of us are familiar with this story. Oppressed, persecuted. And God hears their cries. They're crying out to God, Lord God, would you deliver us from this evil? Would you deliver us from this oppression? Would you deliver us from our slavery? Would you set us free from this cruel and unkind government? Is this the only occasion in human civilization and history where people are brought into forced slavery? Is this the only occasion? Does it not happen even today? Trafficking, forced slavery happening around the world. Think of the atrocities of centuries of this happening, the slave trade, all the pain over in America of people forced into slavery. How significant this passage of scripture was for those who found themselves in this plight. Lord, you set your people free once. Would you set us free again? Very, very powerful. And you know the challenge is so often for those of us who can't relate to that. And for the church even over the centuries, Many of which were, many of whom were responsible for forced slavery. We always read it as we're the Israelites and out there are the Egyptians. But so often, it's the other way around. Hugely challenging as you read through history of how this, how this behavior was perpetuated. We so often identify ourselves with the goodies, right, and not the baddies. The Lord hates this kind of injustice. The Lord hates forced labor, forced slavery. It's wrong. It's evil. It's wicked. And so he comes to set them free. And it's amazing. When, when God sends Moses to the Pharaoh, he doesn't just say, would you set God's people free? He says, so that they might worship me. Set them free that they might worship me. You see, if you're feeling like you're in bondage to sin or something, you're in bondage to something, you feel you're a slave to it, yes, you need to be set free, but you need to be set free for something greater. The greater thing you and I need to be set free for is to worship God and to know God. It's all for you, you know, being let out of your prison cell, but then 
You're not, you don't want to just hang around the prison. You want to go and live a free life. The free life that the gospel invites us to live is a life lived in glorifying and worshiping God. So they're called to worship him. God hears the cries of the oppressed nation. This is two million people, an oppressed nation. He hears those cries. I want to turn to 2 Chronicles and give you another example of this. 2 Chronicles chapter 14. This is the armies of Jacob and Benjamin, God's people, in a dire situation. 2 Chronicles chapter 14, verse 9. Then Zerah the Cushite came against them with an army of one million men and 300 chariots. Right, just stop for a moment. I want you to imagine an army of a million soldiers. Can you even begin to conceive of something that great? A million with swords and spears intent on destroying you. I can't even begin to conceive of a number that, that huge. A million. They came as far as Marassa. So Asa marched out against him and lined up in battle formation in Zephathar Valley at Marashah. Then Asa cried out to the Lord. See that phrase again? He cried out to the Lord, his God. Lord, there is no one besides you to help the mighty and those without strength. We are so weak. Help us, Lord our God, for we depend on you. And in your name we have come against this large army, Lord. Lord, you are our God. Do not let a mere mortal hinder you. And then in verse 12 it says, So the Lord routed the Cushites before Asa and before Judah, and the Cushites fled. The Lord routed an army of one million. The whole point of this scene is to show you something so impossible, so great, so devastating. How can you possibly take on an army of a million people? And so what did they do? They said, Lord, we're weak. We're incapable. We can't do it. We cry out to you, Lord. Would you come and bring justice? Would you come and deal with this oppressive army, this evil army? And we're just simply told, the Lord routed. I don't know what that looked like, but it would have been awesome to have beheld that. Suddenly, the power of God comes against an army of a million people. The God, this is a God who hears the cries of oppressed nations. He hears the cries of oppressed nations. He hears the cries that are going up to him in the Ukraine. He hears the cries which are going up from Myanmar, from Afghanistan. He hears the cries of a people who are fearful, afraid, and oppressed. And the Lord God loves justice and hates injustice. And in an instant, can rout a whole army. That's the God that we worship. Isn't it? It's so easy just to sing songs on a Sunday morning and forget that the God we're singing to has the power to obliterate an army of a million soldiers who are against him. 
Now, our warfare is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers in this age. That's who our fight is against. We love men, women, and children. We love people who don't know God, yet we invite them, come receive mercy from him. But there are powers at work in this world who hate Jesus, who hate the gospel, who hate his church. And where is the church crying out to God for breakthrough and for deliverance and for his power to come and rout the armies of the evil one? Can he not do it again? Of course he can. Who else do we turn to? Who else do you turn to when you are facing an army of a million people? He hears the cries of oppressed nations. The Lord hears the cries of oppressed individuals. The Lord hears the cries of oppressed individuals. I want to read Genesis 21 to you. Genesis 21, 17 to 20. Actually, I'll read from verse 14. Early in the morning, Abraham got up, took bread and a water skin, put them on Hagar's shoulders, and sent her and the boy away. The boy is Abraham's son. And this is a complex story. God made a promise to Abraham for a son. But initially, Abraham didn't obey the direct instruction, which was through Sarah this promised son was going to come. Took Sarah's concubine, Hagar. This wasn't... Plan A. This is man's plan. This son has come, not the son that was promised. Does that mean that God ceases to care? No, no, no. She left and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she left the boy under one of the bushes and went and sat at a distance, about a bowshot away, for she said, I can't bear to watch the boy die. While she sat at a distance, she wept loudly. God heard the boy crying. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What's wrong, Hagar? Don't be afraid. For God has heard the boy crying from the place where he is. Get up, help the boy up and grasp his hand, for I will make him a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well. So she went and filled the water skin and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy, and he grew. He settled in the wilderness and became an archer. Justice for the fatherless and for the widow. He was sent away by Abraham. His father has sent him away. Hagar, she's on her own. And they are in this tragic place of facing Abandonment and death. And it's this tragic story. They're crying and they're weeping. And she can't even look as she sees her child in that condition. And the Lord hears their cries. And what's interesting is actually they don't call out to God. You see, his grace is such that he can step down and meet people's needs and love them and provide for them even when they're not crying out to him for help. You can think of people in your life or in your orbit who you know are crying right now. And they're not crying out to the Lord, but that won't stop him from responding. (laughs) 
He hears their cry. He hears the cry of the fatherless and the cry of the widow. He sees the cries of single mothers. He hears their cries. Single parents, orphaned children, orphaned because fathers have died in war. He hears their cries. And he's a God who hates injustice and loves justice. He is a God who acts and responds and moves to provide for the widow and for the fatherless. And he takes hold of them. That's who our God is. He has this power and he has this heart that he would move toward the needs of the vulnerable and care. There is justice for the poor. Deuteronomy 15, verses 7 to 11. Deuteronomy 15, verses 7 to 11. If there is a poor person among you, one of your brothers within any of your city gates in the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards your poor brother. Instead, you are to open your hand to him and freely loan him enough for whatever he needs. Be careful that there isn't this wicked thought in your heart. The seventh year, the year of cancelling debts is near, and you are stingy towards your poor brother and give him nothing. In other words, on the seventh year, all debts were cleared. So the wicked thought is, oh, if I give this person money now, he, he doesn't have to pay me back in three months' time because it's the year of Jubilee. It's like, don't have that wicked thought. In other words, it's like, it wouldn't be a loan then. It would be a, oh, shock horror, a gift. It's like, yeah, ab- absolutely. He will cry out to the Lord against you and you will be guilty. Cry out to the Lord. Give to him and don't have a stingy heart. And when you give... And because of this, the Lord will, give, will bless you in all your work and in everything you do. For there will never cease to be poor people in the land. Remember Jesus quoted, said this? There will never cease to be the poor among you. That is why I am commanding you, open your hand willingly to the poor and needy brother in your land. Hugely challenging. There should be no poor people among you. There sh- it should not happen. You see, this justice that we read about through the scriptures... It's not, just, it's not just a legal idea. When we think of justice, we think of it as a legal idea. But scholars will tell you uh, the, the root word for justice and for righteousness is the same root word. And it has to do really with what's right for humanity and what it looks like for humanity to flourish. He wants what's right, what's just. And the Lord is saying there should be no poor people among you. Challenging the people of Israel. This is God's people. So on account of their faith, if you, if you have faith in me, if you're my people, you, you, you know there should be no poor among you. Why? Because you know how I've treated you. You know how I set you free from slavery. You know what I have done for you. And this is why we as God's people today are generous with the things that God has given to us. This is why I know so many of you give a lot of money every month as worship but also in confidence that it's going to go and make a difference to people's lives. This is why we're generous as a church. This is why we use our money to love people and help people. And there are so many things happening in this church at any one given day of the week. We, we, we run a, a, a cafe for people who can't afford food. We feed people who are hungry. We have a make lunch club for kids who don't get meals as frequently as they should. 
We will use what God has given us to make a difference, and we do it imperfectly, and we'd love to do more. One of the things I love about this church is that. One of the things that impressed me most as we came here, I was like, I love the multiple ways in which the people of this church are using their time and their money to love people who are vulnerable. It's wonderful. It's an evidence of the Spirit of God among us, of the sincerity of God's work among us. Included in those that the Lord God makes a priority of and for is the resident alien or the immigrant. The resident alien or the immigrant. The person who isn't an Israelite, the person who's come from another nation, who's come needy and vulnerable. Think of the story of Ruth, who was brought into the people of God, who was provided for and loved as a non-Jew, as, a, as an alien. Now, here's the challenge to us. What's your attitude towards immigration? What's your attitude towards people who come from other nations? I mean, what kind of horror must people be living with that they would put their family on a dinghy and cross an ocean? What kind of horror must that, must that person be dealing with and living with? And so the Lord God says, I fight for that person. So we can add to this list, it's, it's called the, the quartet of the vulnerable. Fatherless, widows, the poor, and the immigrant. We can add to that single parents. We can add to that refugees. We can add to that the elderly. We could probably add to that the disabled. The, the, the groups in our society that often are on the fringes that those who have power and wealth often forget about and don't take care of. Now, if you've come here from another nation and you've been displaced from your nation because of challenges, because of corrupt government, because of injustices, I hope you know this already, but we as a church welcome you and love that you're here. We hope you find this to be a home for you. We, we, we love the nations of the world coming here. And people come for all different reasons. You might be from another nation, it might not be because of injustice, though we know for some of you it is because of that. But a church where God is, is a church that embraces. There is so much xenophobia and racism still in this nation and in the world. And may that never come into the context of God's people, where there is now one new man in Christ, where walls of hostility have been smashed down, where he's received us all in. Who are we to push anyone away? when he's received us. And so in conclusion, let's just for a moment listen to the voice of Jesus as he addresses these issues. And I just want to read two passages. Firstly, in Luke 18. Now he told them a parable on the need for them to pray always and not give up. There was a judge in a certain town who didn't fear God or respect people. And a widow in that town kept coming to him saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he was unwilling, but later he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or respect people, yet because this widow keeps badgering me, I will give her justice so that she doesn't wear me out by her persistent coming. Then the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. Will not God grant justice to his elect 
who cry out to him day and night, will he delay in helping them? I tell you that he will swiftly grant them justice. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Let me just ask you a series of questions. Does this nation need God's forgiveness? Does this nation need God's mercy and kindness? Does this nation need to hear the gospel? Does this nation need an encounter with the living God? And, and here's a challenge. Does the Lord God hear his people crying out for that? Does he hear faith? Does he hear the cries? Does he hear his people praying to him? Does he hear the cries of his people? I, f- I have to be honest. I don't think we've been moved yet to that point of crying out. The challenge is we have a comfortable nation to live in and we have comfortable lives that we enjoy. And I know that many of you are real prayer warriors. I know many of you are. I see it when I come to the prayer meetings here on a Sunday evening. There's a prayer meeting tonight where we're gonna gather to cry out to God who loves justice and hates injustice. We're gonna cry out to him for the nation. I won't be there, (laughs) let me just say that. (laughs) I'm meeting with a a church in Fareham, so I said to Steve, oh no, I'm not gonna be there. Please come, please make a priority of praying. If you're not convinced already, just look up the phrase, they cried out through the Bible. Just look it up, crying out, you'll find over and over and over again, as the Lord's people cried out to him, the Lord moves to bring justice for the oppressed. Now, in conclusion again, (laughs) I want to read from Mark chapter 14. And we're going to hear of the greatest cry that has ever gone out for justice, ever. And the basis for which we receive not justice, but mercy from God. Mark 15, verse 33. When it was noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lima sabachthani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, see, he's calling for Elijah. Someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, fixed it on a stick, offered him a drink and said, let's see if Elijah comes to take him down. Jesus let out a loud cry and breathed his last. That loud cry, it is finished, is a cry for justice for everyone that falls upon the mercies of God. It's a cry for justice for you and for me. Justice not on account of my works, but on account of his work at the cross, which is sufficient to satisfy the holy, righteous justice of God toward all the sin, evil that I and you 
and all those who fall upon the mercies of God have ever committed. When we come to Jesus Christ and we ask for forgiveness, it's not that somehow God forgets that we've done all of the sin. He does, the scriptures say, forget it, but on account of what? The mercy of Jesus Christ and the death of Jesus Christ. So that when you and I receive mercy and forgiveness, it is not cheap. It is costly beyond measure. Because Jesus, in his death and agony upon the cross, did everything that was necessary. And the father heard that cry, it is finished. So I never have to be judged or condemned. And receive instead his eternal bliss on account of justice being paid out on Jesus Christ at the cross. So there's going to be another judgment day when Jesus returns and we stand before him. And on that day there will be essentially just two categories of people. There will be those like the thief on the cross he will go, the only reason I'm here is because he said I can come. The only reason I'm here is because he's forgiven me. The only reason I'm here is because he paid my debt. The only reason I'm here is because he was just judged in my place. That's the only reason I'm here. It's a gift. And then there'll be everyone else who chooses instead to receive justice for their sins. But justice will be paid. It's either by Christ or it's by the eternal judgment that the scriptures promise for all those who reject his gift. It's a wonderful, rich gift. So the question is, where is justice? Jesus dealt with justice at the cross. And one day we will see that perfectly unraveled before us when Christ returns. And on that day, I fall on his grace. And I pray for each of us that that's your story and testimony too. Why don't we stand? And I'm going to invite the band to come. We're told about God's justice as his people that we might be like him. That we might love what he loves and hate what he hates. We want to be like him, don't we? I love we have an all-nations cafe. I should mention that as well on the Monday. That's receiving people from around the world who are in Winchester who come and build relationships. It's great. I love that we've got the cap service that meets the needs of the, those in debt and poverty in this city and beyond. But Lord, there is so much more for you to do in us and through us. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the one that perfectly fulfills Isaiah 61 and Psalm 146. That you meet the needs of the widow and the fatherless, the poor, the oppressed, the vulnerable and the weak. Because that's where you found us and you raised us up. So Lord, may we not be a people that turn a blind eye to the needs around us 
but may we see what it is you've given us. And by your grace, may we step out to meet those needs. The homeless, the single parents, the fatherless, the poor. Lord, we want to be a people like you. And we can't do that in our own strength. But the anointed people of God can do so many wonderful things. So send us out to make a difference in this world, we pray, and for your glory. Thank you for your justice. Praise you for your mercy. Amen.